Hey, y'all, from NPR, I'm Sam Sanders. It's been a minute. This week, we are taking a break from the news, a thing we all have to do sometimes. We're taking a break to bring you conversations with two stars from two shows that are both in the running for Outstanding Comedy Series at the Primetime Emmy Awards in just a few weeks. A bit later in the show, you'll hear from Greta Lee. She stars in Russian Doll, the hit dark comedy from Netflix. But first up, Dan Levy from Pop TV's Shits Creek. Gotta let you know, Shits Creek is spelled S-C-H-I-T-T-S, okay? Dan Levy stars in the show alongside his father, comedic legend Eugene Levy. You may know him for his work in the American Pie movies, among other things. Dan and Eugene made Shits Creek together, and the show ends next year with its sixth and final season. In the show, Eugene and Dan play the father and son in a wealthy and self-obsessed family, a family that suddenly becomes very, very poor. So poor, in fact, they have to live in a motel in a small town they bought as a joke. I asked Dan what parts of the show were inspired by his own life and which were not. Well, I think there's a big difference between... I, because, I, I mean, in my life, I, I have led a comfortable life. My parents uh, have... My dad has managed to succeed at his craft. Um, so, you know, it's not like I was struggling in my life. Mm-hmm. But one thing that I think the, the big discrepancy between, you know, people who have grown up with families who have money and mm-hmm. what I'm playing on this show is the choice for these parents to give their children everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was sort of where my path really diverted from this character's because, you know, at 15, my parents sort of dropped me off in front of a Gap Kids and said, don't come home until you have a job application. <laughs> So it was not made, even the real gap. The it gap was kids. no kids. Well, I chose kids because I didn't want to deal with people my own age. I was too anxious at the time. And like, <laughs> I can deal with parents and kids. I don't want to deal with people from my class at yeah. school. Yeah, yeah. Um, they were adamant that I earn my own money, mm-hmm. that I know the value of a dollar, mm-hmm. that I never take for granted the experiences that happen mm-hmm. um, in my life. And as mm-hmm. a result, I have been, you know, working from the time it was legal to work um, and have been paying my own way ever since. So, Which is good. Which is how it should be. Yeah. <laughs> but there are so many people out there, families who have, who are drowning in money, who fix problems, who spoil, who... Um, there's just this culture of wealth now where it's almost like the children become status objects for the parents. Oh, yeah. So if the children have lots of money and go on expensive vacations and, you know, are bought expensive homes, they are essentially sort of these weird appendages oh, totally. of this, which I think is a strange thing and something that I found very fascinating, which is why I ended up writing this show. Um, and you wrote it with your dad. So like, I wrote you, it with my dad, yeah. Were you inspired by seeing spoiled rich brats well, in life? It was like seven years ago. So it was around the peak of the Housewives and the Kardashians. Yeah. And, um, oh, it's still peak Housewife for Sam Sanders. <laughs> I mean, it'll never, <laughs> never go away. Listen, it's only on an upward trajectory. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Um, but I remember at the time having such an intimate understanding of how these people lived their lives mm-hmm. to the point where I'm like, do I, how, what, this is taking up space in my brain and like, no offense to all of these people, yes. but you know, I think these reality shows really allowed the masses to feel like in a way they're living vicariously through these people or it's aspirational or whatever. And I felt like we had now this whole sort of world to play with, a world that most of us now know 
exists mm-hmm. and and sort of know the inner workings of. Mm-hmm. So if we were to take advantage of that in terms of just a core premise and say, well, what if one of these families, families who seem to alleviate the problems and the burdens of family drama by just throwing money at issues yeah. and buying gifts as solutions instead of actually sort of working out the guttural sort of like mm-hmm. yeah. day-to-day of, of how it works as a, as a family dynamic. Um, that could be a really interesting sort of world to play with. Yeah, uh, This family has lost everything and now they have to just live with the with the basics yeah. in this town called Shit's Creek, right? Which, which was the family purchased. bought. My dad on the show bought it for me as a joke because <laughs> of the name. We thought it was very funny. The family had no intention of ever having to move there. Yeah, and they um, had to move there and stay in two adjoined two hotel adjoining rooms. Motel, motel rooms. rooms. They'd yes, kill for it to be a hotel room. <laughs> um, and you know, for us from the very beginning, it was always. Uh, intended to be an exploration of family values and mm-hmm. what is really important at the end of the day when all the money is gone and when all the materialism is sort of stripped away mm-hmm. what's left mm-hmm. and what is what do you really need to get by as a family and ultimately i think the answer is love when you so you went to your dad with the idea mm-hmm. was he like bah, or was he like yeah well he was very excited. Okay. He was very excited. Had y'all worked together before? <clears throat> no, I okay. think that's part of the reason. I think growing up uh, uh, in Canada, I got a job at MTV very early on, and I worked there for about eight years. You as were a personality. You hosted I was stuff. a host, yeah. Um, and we ended up doing some stuff here uh, with MTV. We worked for The Hills. We did their, their after, the after show for show. a long time. But it was still based in Canada. Um, and I was hyper sensitive to... Uh, the label of nepotism mm. going into that experience that I didn't tell anybody that I was who I was or who my dad was. When you were doing your stuff with MTV? When I was at MTV, at least for the first half, so four years. Really? You think folks knew? Whether they did or didn't, they didn't say anything. Mm-hmm. And I think most of them didn't. Okay. And it allowed me to find my footing mm-hmm. and uh, realize whether I had it or not. And you did. And I I mean I did in the sense that I was continually employed. Yeah. So <laughs> which is a I, I wasn't in messing up economy. that bad. Yeah. Um and then once I felt like I had my footing and I I had a voice of my own and that people were responding to what I was saying on television mm-hmm. f- for me, mm-hmm. um I felt m- more comfortable to sort of let him in. Mm-hmm. And we worked a little we did a few little sketches uh for MTV at the time. Oh, nice. Um and then when I came here having left MTV, I felt like a the idea that I was bringing him, to him was strong, and that I was I knew what I was talking about, and I felt yeah. like I could well, bring. Well, because you had watched these reality shows, and also had after shows about some of these reality shows. Oh yeah, I mean, if I were to sort of like <laughs> connect the dots through my sort of strange, yeah, weird career on television, I'm sure it would. It all sort of led to this. Yeah. Um, but I knew that I could sort of stand my own ground with him mm-hmm. and that I wouldn't be taking advantage or that I wouldn't be sort of coming to him relying on him to get me work or mm-hmm. get me something. I mean, You could both do the heavy lifting. We could both be in it together. I mean, I'm not going to lie. He definitely helped in terms of opening doors and getting meetings. Yeah. Um, but it was the idea ultimately. And it was your idea. Um, well, it became our idea, but yeah. it started as mine, sure, yeah. um, that that ultimately got us on television. 
And it really sort of we we sat down and and started talking, and you know, it was an idea that I thought could use his sensibility, his comedic sort of sensibility, what he had brought uh, to the the Christopher Guest movies that he had co-written with Chris, and um, and we started working on it. And his process w- was very different than mine. How and so? it was He's incredibly thorough. And at the time, I didn't have a process, so it was just generally <laughs> different. Yeah. Um, but it was, I mean, working with him behind the scenes and, and then on camera has really been the greatest masterclass in comedy and and acting that you can have. I mean, you can't pay for that kind of yeah. uh, experience. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it has not gone, I've not taken a single day for granted. That's good. And so, like, you have this idea. You and your father write this, create this. But then also, your sister is in the show, too. This is like a family <laughs> affair. Yeah. And it, the, my whole thinking in prep for this interview, I was like, I can't imagine any world in which I went to work every day with a parent and a sibling. I would go It's crazy. wild. Do you like what? it? She Sure. And here's you have the thing. To say that. Even when it, even when things, I mean, working with family, particular. I mean, my sister and I get along really well, and we get to see each other on set, and she'll come in a couple times a week, and that's been great. I mean, working with my dad every day, it's one of those things where you have to almost make a conscious effort to try to react differently mm-hmm. in situations where there's discrepancies or where you have disagreements, because the reaction would be like, "Ugh, can you just hate you?" Bah! But you're on a um, set with, like, other people. <laughs> yeah. And also, you know, you have to almost l- draw a line for yourself. Um, but at the end of the day, we both have the same end goal for the show. So all any sort of conflict or discre- discrepancy or, or disagreement will be resolved because whoever has the better idea that serves the show the best will, in a, in a way, win. win. Yeah. yeah. Um, and also to sort of look back at this from sort of like a... a meta standpoint mm-hmm. to have a a you know six or seven or however long the show goes yeah. to have that kind of chapter of your life that you've gotten to share with your family that's not only in the memory bank but also documented, documented. is uh is something a lot of people don't get it's so, a scrapbook it's a scrapbook i love it so i'll you know tell friends and family what i'm preparing for in the show mm-hmm. everyone that i talk to who i'll, I'll say i'm going to interview you know one of the stars of shit's creek and they're like oh my god that show like it is <laughs> are you so, like the fandom is real like the people that like this show love this show yeah what is what do you think that's about uh, it we're we're lucky i think mm-hmm. we have really passionate mm-hmm. smart mm-hmm. uh caring fans who feel the show in their bones Mm -hmm. i think it's a combination of the show just being quite joyful yeah trying to send a message of love and acceptance and i think that message being sort of put out into the world it's in a way provided some kind of lightness or or escape yes. for 21 minutes and, and 50 yeah. seconds or however long you want to binge it for um, a way to sort of take your mind off of what's happening and and lean into joy for a little bit. One thing I noticed about all of the characters is that they have really perfected this sense of comedic timing, which is beautifully on display because you're not doing laugh tracks. You're not killing mm-hmm. with like music and scoring. So you'll just like deliver this amazing joke and let it just sit there with you. But I, my question is like... Your comedic timing 
in the show is on the same level as your father's character, and he had been, has been doing this stuff for decades. <laughs> what did you learn? I mean, did you learn stuff from him in terms uh, of just, like, being comedic on screen? Well, first of all, that's a wonderful compliment. Yeah. Uh, no, the character, I don't know where he came from, but okay. he, it just happened. And it's funny because I was writing those scripts up until the night before we started shooting our very first really? day. And it wasn't until that night that I sat down to learn my lines that I was like, oh, oh, God. <laughs> I, mean, yes. I have a scene with Catherine O'Hara and my dad tomorrow. Yeah. And I don't even, I, this is my first time acting since a Lifetime movie that I did with Misha Barton. <laughs> And I mean, they they know what they. I mean, they're they're incredible character actors, and they and know they, each other because they, they know each other. They before. can they they have an innate sort of gift to read a script and to extract a character from it. I had a very loose idea of what I wanted to go in with. Uh, I knew that he was really guarded, mm-hmm. and that he was using sort of a very sort of hard shell to protect himself. Mm-hmm. And when we sat down, I, I really do feel like. I attribute a lot of him to Catherine and my dad and Annie in those first few scenes where we started to be a family. Did your father give notes on set? It's like, you're not doing like this. I know well, what it's I'm funny because we did shoot a presentation pilot a little bit before we, we got the green light to do a series. And uh-huh. I sort of did a version of David then and he was very soft spoken. And in the show, he can tend to be a little like, you talk sort of in the back, like there's a judgment that exists. Yeah. Right in the yeah. Back of this. <laughs> and I remember my dad sort of coming to me saying, I don't know if the mics are going to pick up that kind of voice yeah. yeah but i didn't know anything about mics at the time yeah. but there was this essence of which i love like it, almost an essence of like tim gunn but even more condescension oh yeah with like a combination of meryl streep and devil wears prada and why is no one ready yeah, her whole approach was that like really powerful people speak softly to force, force people to listen. listen i love it so That was Dan Levy. He is a star and co-creator of Shit's Creek on Pop TV. It's spelled S-C-H-I-T-T-S. This show is up for Outstanding Comedy Series at the Primetime Emmy Awards in just a few weeks. After the break, Dan explains why he chose to make his character on Shit's Creek pansexual and have that character live in a fictional community where discrimination basically doesn't exist. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. This week on the show, we're taking a break from the news to bring you conversations with two stars from two shows up for some Emmys in a few weeks. I'm Sam Sanders. We'll be right back. Support for NPR and the following message come from Weston Hotels and Resorts. At Weston, their entire reason for being is your well-being, which is why their wellness offerings are curated with one thing in mind, you. An eat well menu crafted with fresh ingredients, an on-demand fitness gear lending program that allows you to pack light and stay fit, and their heavenly bed that helps you conquer the day by giving you a restful night. Explore at Weston.com, a member of Marriott Bonvoy. Support also comes from Berkshire Hathaway Home Services. With a franchised network of highly trained agents and advanced marketing tools, Berkshire Hathaway Home Services network members aim to provide something more than just real estate. They think beyond the next transaction and build relationships based on your long-term goals to ensure you'll get all the value that home brings year after year, home after home. All that more they do, that's home services. Start your home search at BerkshireHathawayHS.com. 
Take a deeper dive into the art, lives, and legacies of Billie Holiday, Ella Fitzgerald, and the women who played a vital role in inventing American popular music. I'll be seeing you. Watch videos, read essays, and hear the full Turning the Tables playlist at npr.org slash turningthetables. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. I'm Sam Sanders. This week on the show, we are taking a break from the news because you need one sometimes. Instead, we're going to bring you this week conversations with two stars from two shows that are both in the running for outstanding comedy series at the Emmy Awards, which happen in just a few weeks. Coming up from the Netflix hit show Russian Doll, actress Greta Lee. But first, more of my chat with Dan Levy. He is a star and co-creator of Shit's Creek on Pop TV. I want to dig into your character a little bit, David Rose, on the show. Yeah, this is, sweet uh, thing. I know. I really do like him. Just tries his best. Would you like to hang out with him in real life? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> He's a lot. Describe him for folks that haven't watched the show yet. David Rose is a uh, uh, an incredibly privileged uh, um, human being who has never really found his voice. Mm-hmm. And as a result, has sort of created a persona for himself that is uh, dependent on uh, an aesthetic, his clothes, what he wears, an entirely black and white wardrobe of highly architectural clothing. Yes. And a, a just as prickly a personality. Yes. And in moving to the town, David has, in a way, found comfort in the anonymity of living in this place and has allowed himself very, very slowly to open up and reveal his wants and needs to people slowly and carefully and yeah. surely. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think his he's a pansexual, so he's been able to explore all sides of the community. Oh, yeah. <laughs> in Schitt's Creek. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, and has eventually, you know, found love and... I think that has really changed his whole outlook and made him realize that he doesn't have to be as protective, that he, um, that loving someone, that finding love in your family and finding love in a partner can, uh, can allow you to feel safe mm-hmm. in this world. Yeah. I love the way that you handle pansexuality with this character. It is not the central defining mm. thing about David Rose. It's just there. And there's this beautiful moment in which his character comes out to one of his partners as pansexual. Mm. And the word pansexual isn't even used. So, just to be clear, um, I'm a red wine drinker. That's fine. Okay, cool. Uh, I only drink red wine. Okay. And up until last night, I was under the impression that you, too, only drank red wine but i guess i was wrong i see where you're going with this um i do drink red wine but i also drink white wine and i've been known to sample the occasional rosé and a couple summers back i tried a merlot that used to be a chardonnay which got a bit complicated okay yeah so you're just really open to all wines i like the wine and not the label does that make sense yes it does okay so in that scene with you was? Uh, the lovely actress Emily Hampshire, uh, who plays Stevie Budd on the show. She's a, a dear friend and uh, and really was 
quite wonderful in that scene. That's really good. I, Was that your idea? Yeah, yeah, I wrote that. Uh, section. Uh, That's of, great. I, I think it's, I don't know what episode it was. It was in the first season? Yeah, it was an analogy that, yeah, that came to me that I thought was very much uh, a way of communicating uh, his sexuality that, again, didn't come with some kind of lesson or it wasn't heavy-handed. And not academic. I think you hear exactly. the word pansexual and, like, you're like, what What does this mean? Yeah. It's, it sounds harder than it really is. Yeah. And I think the way that you tackled it in the show made it really understandable. Yeah. And it didn't, like, it wasn't you trying to not be that as a character. It was uh-huh. just saying, let me break this down for you real simple. Exactly. And I think that sexuality right now is in such a wonderful state of... Flux. Flux. And all we can do with one another is try to inform people... As to what everything means, there's so many, you know, different terms. There's so many, there's a whole vernacular now that is, that we're, we're having to sort of understand and it's all for the best. But I think we have to just approach this sort of new territory with Mm -hmm. the idea that everything is, as long as you're coming into the conversation with the best of intentions, um, we can't create a judgmental environment. We have to be as open and accepting and malleable when it comes to okay this person doesn't quite understand who i am yes i'm gonna tell you without preaching being offended or without uh you know uh making you feel bad because ultimately we should all be sharing in this in this process and when people feel included in the conversation they're far more willing to cheerlead yeah, I think a lot of people sort of stand on the sidelines because they they they're scared. They don't of, want to get it wrong. Exactly, but I do feel like if we can all come at it from a place of just optimism and the best of intentions. That's the thing. Assuming the best that intentions. can yeah, because the only reason people have had to take these stands is because somewhere down the line, someone decided to define mm-hmm. sexuality as one thing mm-hmm. and then splinter it off into two things. Mm-hmm. You know, if that were never in the equation, if sexuality was just what it was. And it wasn't always a binary thing. We forget We would that, never like, be in this situation yeah. because labels are what have led to bigotry and intolerance and people feeling judged or people being persecuted. It's because someone has labeled someone else as different. Did you know from the start that you wanted your character to be pansexual? I did. Why? Um, I hadn't seen uh, pansexuality represented on television. Nor have I. Um, before. I mean, I'm sure it had been, but yeah. I, I hadn't. I wasn't aware. I thought it was interesting territory to explore mm-hmm. um, for the character uh, and for the show. And and you aren't burdening this character with message all caps Mm -hmm. i think a lot of times when you see a first on tv in any capacity there can be a desire Mm -hmm. to have that person be a brand ambassador and have them give respectability to this community or something Uh i don't see that on his character which i I appreciate thanks i mean i think there's there's two ways of going about it and i think it really depends on the message you're trying to send Mm -hmm. and and ultimately on the medium but i think Mm -hmm. for us I guess the the stance that I took was that I'm going to show a life as it is in the world. Mm-hmm. It will not be questioned. Mm-hmm. It will be embraced. Mm-hmm. But there are some shows, I think, that need to be more educational in the way that they approach sexuality because of who they're speaking to or yes. because of what they're saying. That just wasn't ever going to be what this was. There yeah. was going to be no um, 
homophobia. There was going to be no bigotry. There was going to be no um, magical dream world. <laughs> Listen, and you know, I think there's a pe- you know people have said, well, are you is that a responsible thing? Hmm. But at the end of the day, it's a choice. It's a choice that I made. Yeah, and it's a choice. It's also that, a fictitious show. You can it's do it. It's a fictitious it. show. I can do it. And I also, you know, we've gotten the most incredible feedback from families across the world who hmm. have watched this show. Hmm. And I think because of the fact that they aren't put in a position where they're forced to make a judgment, where uh-huh. parents are accepting of their children, where a small town uh-huh. um, is not raising an eyebrow to two men falling in love with each other. After one of them fell in love with a woman. After one of them has fallen in love yeah. with a woman. It has opened people's eyes and in a way made them look at themselves and say, well, why am I having this problem mm-hmm. when these people don't, don't have, a, have problem. a problem. Why am I having this conflict with my child when it's so much easier just to love? To love. And that has been the feedback that has really been that has brought me to tears because wow. um for that message to be sort of like going out there into people's homes and for people to be for families to be repairing relationships because of of what they're watching in our show is yeah. uh is truly yeah. uh, incredible and, and very yeah. humbling. Do you hear from pansexual people? Yeah. What do they say? I, a lot of them have just are, are really just excited that there's someone who represents them on TV, that mm-hmm. they watch a show mm-hmm. uh, where they can finally turn to their parents and say, Hey, this look! This is it. <laughs> this is who I am. Yes. But yeah, again, the major feedback predominantly over social media is just <laughs> that that it's not... They're not being taught a lesson. Yeah. That the, the people are not. It's not. We're not spoon feeding sexuality yes. to people. So yes, they like that it's sort of casually represented. That was Dan Levy, star and creator of Shit's Creek. That show enters its sixth and final season next year. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. I'm Sam Sanders, and today on the show we are taking a much needed break from the news to bring you. Two conversations with two stars from two shows that are up for outstanding comedy series at this year's Emmy Awards. You just heard about Shit's Creek. Another show up for some Emmys is Russian Doll. Gotta get up, gotta get out, gotta get home before the morning comes. You might know this song from the Netflix show. And if you do know this song, you'll definitely recognize Greta Lee. Happy birthday, baby! That is Greta Lee. She stars as Maxine on the show. When this show begins, she is throwing her friend Nadia a birthday party. But Nadia, who's played by Natasha Lyonne, she keeps dying and reliving that same night and that same party. Sweet birthday, baby. Sweet birthday, baby. Sweet birthday, baby. Having fun. The universe is trying to f*** with me. This show follows Nadia's quest to figure out why she is stuck in a time loop. It was created and written and directed entirely by women, including Lyonne herself, Amy Poehler, and the playwright Leslie Hedlund. Greta Lee spoke to my NPR colleague and friend, our regular guest host, Julia Furlan. She told her about what made this group of women so special. Because I've worked, you know, I've worked with other women before. Shocking. Yeah. Um, but there's this, like, shared quality amongst us. Well, first of all, I think, like, everyone's kind of a theater nerd, secretly, or maybe not so secretly. Um, Leslie Hedlund is an like, extremely prolific playwright. Um, and Rebecca Henderson, incredible mm-hmm. stage actor. Natasha, too. Yeah, Natasha did a stage bunch of work stage work. Under her belt. Yeah. There's that, and there's also this, and I hope I'm not like speaking out of turn here, but there's this short, sort of like shared 
self-identifying like underdog quality to the group. Yeah. Which, by the way, is very, very difficult to uh, when our sh- our show on IMDb is is number one. Right. It's like so a super it's, success. It's really weird. It <laughs> Nobody's <feels> ready? very <laughs> strange, and everyone. I think you know it's um, incredible, but I think for self-identifying like underdogs. We are used to being ignored or rejected. So this feeling, what is this feeling? So uncomfortable. Uh, the hives are success, actually. Yeah. Oh, oh, is that what it is? Okay. <laughs> this, my, my like, cortisol cream is, like, really not. I need something stronger. Yeah. And I think so in the making of the show, it never felt like we were doing anything other than trying to tell this kind of, like, punk, dark, twisted absurd story that was you know i think everyone kind of felt like we're good let's just go go for broke and see and now to have it have this response like it's it's neat to feel like these very personal um themes and and life experiences can be so universal i mean that does feel like very life affirming and yeah and i've seen a lot of writing about the show that says that it's a dark show that is deeply life affirming that, mm-hmm. you know, like the underlying my my friend and former colleague Bim Adewunmi wrote this wonderful piece about how it's a show that ultimately tells everybody that you need to choose each other and sort of like choose the goodness in the world and move towards that no matter what. Right, right. I, I have a theory about it. Are yeah, you ready? I'm this is so exactly ready. what you want is a person giving you a theory about a yeah. thing that you made, a piece of art. But It feels like a very New York show. Um, And I think the underdog quality and the sort of like self-hating but also relying on other people, these are things that New Yorkers have to do and choose to do over and over and over again. Yeah. It's like we're living our own time loops as New Yorkers. (laughs) Every day it's like I just barely survived. Like almost died four times. Let's try it again. Exactly. What are we going to do? C train. What gotta you got? Get up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, I feel extremely New York about that, and like really kind of proud that it's a show that is of that world. Mm-hmm. So I watched it in four days. Yeah, just like a marathon. I consumed it so like in one fell swoop. I wonder how you feel about people consuming something that you tried so hard to craft and that has been so many years in the making (laughs) and then people consume it just like all in one fell swoop like it's a cheeseburger and they haven't eaten all day. (laughs) Do you have feelings about that? Like the way the audience comes to your work? Well, I didn't, but now I do. Sorry. Now 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 I'm getting worked up about it. (laughs) I, yeah, the scale, the, uh, I guess that is, that is also very Russian doll. The time is, um, with TV shoots, it takes so much longer than right. people think. Even, you know, <laughs> I initially thought, okay, this is going to be the easiest shoot. Look at the script. Time loops. Really? Love a time loop. Great. We're going to shoot out that first party scene, sweet birthday baby, chicken, 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 smoke, smoke. You can just, like, keep using that, right? One and done. No. <laughs> Turns out. <laughs> wow. Months and months. Yeah. I mean, of course. Like, I, each time we reset, we were sort of treating it like its own show. Completely new thing. Yeah. And we'd start from the beginning and really sit down and meticulously plan out, okay, what just happened? How did she die? 
the time before? What is she looking for this next time? All those things like we, we These are conversations that you guys had, yeah. Basically, I tried to phone it in, but they wouldn't let me. You know, I was like, all right, let's just, come on, chicken, 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 let's go. No. No, no. Did you have that preparation? Like, were you carrying the previous world into your character, too? Um, it was hard not to. Um, I think it would have been easier if I could live in this vacuum where, yeah, I was just um, separated from all of that. But Natasha is so... She wears everything on her sleeve. It just, sometimes I say to her, I'm like, it's because, your girl, your eyes are so big, you just can't lie. <laughs> <laughs> she has a big face. She yeah, has big like, expressions. Yeah. It's like, it must be hard for you because you, you can't hide anything on that, on that face. No. And every time we got together to shoot those scenes, it just, yeah, it, it, it's harder to, to ignore that is what I'm trying to say. That, Right, like each time you encountered Natasha Leone, it was... She was different every time, yeah. That was Greta Lee. She stars in the Netflix show Russian Doll. She was talking to Julia Furlan, our regular guest host here on the show. More of their conversation after the break. I'm Sam Sanders, and you're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. Support for this NPR podcast and the following message come from BetterHelp. BetterHelp offers licensed professional counselors who specialize in issues such as depression, stress, anxiety, and more. Connect with your professional counselor in a safe and private online environment at your convenience. Get help at your own time and your own pace. Schedule secure video or phone sessions, plus chat and text with your therapist. Visit BetterHelp.com minute to learn more. It might be hard to pin down what makes a friendship really work. I feel like we're like the Michael Jordan of friendships. Like, you can't ask Jordan. <laughs> you can't ask Jordan how he does what he does. He's a freak of nature. But clearly, some people know how to do it. Check out Life Kit's new guide from NPR on navigating the highs and lows of friendship. Or subscribe to Life Kit All Guides for all of our episodes, all in one place. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. I'm Sam Sanders. Usually on this show, we catch you up on the week of news. But this week, we're taking a break from all that because sometimes you have to. We've been hearing from Greta Lee. She stars in the Netflix show Russian Doll. Greta spoke to my NPR colleague and our regular guest host, Julia Furlan. She told Julia about her own development deal with HBO and how she thinks about underrepresentation as a Korean-American actor. So it's this two-pronged thing where, of course, like, I want to shine a light on it and acknowledge that it exists, that there's, like, this huge vacuum in terms of representation. But then I feel like the most successful and progressive opportunities are ones where race is not the thing. There's never, like, well... Look at Asian Maxine over there making her like stir fry or something. Yeah, terrible. exactly. Like, You're not like performing Asianness. Yeah, and it's not mentioned at all. I think that that's one of the true signs of representation mm-hmm. is basically not having to use shorthand and ha- accepting characters in the larger context of their characters and not sort of like pointing to race things. Yes, it's definitely uh, there's been progress. But it's still very rare. Like I still, I have that moment when I walk onto set for the first time and I have to confront my character's space, like her home or office cubicle or whatever it is. And I just clench because nine times out of ten, 
there's going to be like some sort of like paper crane or like a set of chopsticks that are like inexplicably placed with the pencils and like right like hello kitty or the, like, oh god it, it's really weird that it still happens and in these progressive environments too it's messed up too yeah i'm not going through my life as an asian like here's my asian hand reaching for this cup taking a sip with my asian lips and like yeah. now i'm gonna go you know yeah there's a white gazing person yeah. yeah and then like the work it puts on me to you know put up a stink and say excuse me like can we not with the asian stuff and then like having to you know stop production to do that I mean, it gets really exhausting. So that is more the norm, I hate to say. So when I have an experience like this where it's just not there, we can skip that and then we can just work and like and make these people people. Um, So you had roles on Girls and Broad City and High Maintenance. And these are shows that really feel like ensemble performances where like you see the characters on screen and you know that this might be like all made up in your head, but it feels like everyone has really good chemistry and maybe like they walk out of frame and they're like giggling to each other about that scene or they're going out for coffee or drinks or whatever later. Um, is that something that you've cultivated on purpose in the community that you found in acting or was that sort of something that you walked into or am I making it up because the chemistry is so good on <laughs> screen? Well, okay. I think that I think what was ha- what was happening was um, there's like really this like movement, this like class of women in comedy who were coming up together at around the same time in New York. And I think that some of those relationships that you're seeing on these shows for me were happening in real life as right. we were all getting to know each other over the last few years. But like what you're seeing on camera probably at that time, it was engineered. It's fake. It was just a job. Oh, my God. Acting is fake. It's not real. (sighs) Listeners, I'm so sorry to break this to you. Yeah. So you're saying that, like, it was a group of women in comedy, like Ilana and Abby. Yeah. And the, the, like, UCB folk. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And... That, that sort of, like, group of women in comedy were uplifting each other and yeah, recommending totally. each other for roles and whatnot? Yeah, like, uh, the f- way I met Amy Schumer, <laughs> I met her at a Noah Baumbach movie audition. Neither of us got the part. What, shocking. I don't think either of us even got called back. I mean. And it was one of those, like, New York moments after... We were brutalized <laughs> where we were taking the elevator down. And we were just like, you know, talking shop um, and to say, like, how'd that go? How'd that go for you? I mean, just so miserable, right? <laughs> but that was right before Amy, uh, Inside Amy Schumer was going to come out. And that was right before I was going to, Lena was going to ask me to come read this part on Girls. We, and we were just sort of like, you know, Hey, I'm Greta. Hey, I'm Amy. Amy, and I was familiar with her stand-up, and and then we were both at the table read for on girls. Oh, interesting. Amy was there. I see. Um, and like, when I think now about who else was there at the time, like Jessica Williams was there. Um, and we all part of like, oh, like this group of women is just like, okay, what's the show, girls? Okay, and then that show came out. 
Amy Schumer came out, and I ended up getting to be on Amy Schumer. Yeah, with you Amy. were on it all the time. Yeah, but I mean, it was such a different era. Like our holding for Inside Amy Schumer season one was a homeless shelter, and someone pooped on the floor during our lunch break. Oh God! Yeah, so it'd be like, okay, Amy, Amy, come on, we're setting up. Like cameras, cameras setting up right now. Step over the poop. Step, oh, watch yeah, out! It's human poop. Here we go. Nope. Um. Yeah. I mean, it seems like there's that that shared hustle, right? Like it was yeah. everybody was just like, we're gonna grind and get through this so that we can eventually ask for more for ourselves, right? Exactly. Yeah, and advocate for each other. I remember Amy telling a, a group of us earlier on. She was like, you know, how did she say it? She was like, just write your own. <laughs> just do it, okay? <laughs> She's like, whip out those laptops, go deka deka deka, just. Do it. I, I, I forget who I was with. And it was the kind of advice you hear all the time from people. But, you know, she really meant it. And she, I think that's when she was writing Trainwreck. Um, right. So it felt like it was coming from her heart and it was easy yeah. to understand. It was, like, easy to hear that. Right, right, right. So I feel like we're in a time where the categories for creators are sort of breaking down. Like, you don't have to be a comedic actor or a dramatic actor or just a writer or any one of these things. Mm -hmm. And Russian Doll feels very of that moment where, you know, people are behind the camera and in front of the camera and they're writing and they're performing. What do you think about that? It's so tiring. We used to just be able to be good at one thing just one thing at a time. And now I have to be like an actor, writer, director, DJ. Social media star. Cer- ceramicist <laughs> slash, you know, like beekeeper. Let me be good at one thing and go home and go to sleep and try again at that one thing. But no, we can't do that anymore. No, it's a great thing. I, I think that that is a result also from people realizing if we want to tell our own stories, well... No one's going to be better at doing that than yourself, right? It's like, congratulations, you're your own writer's room. <laughs> exactly. Go. Um, you just have to just do it on your own. Like, you can't wait. Um, the show, Natasha and Amy, it's been a, it's been years in the making. Uh, we, right. we did this pilot together, Old Soul, for NBC. Five years ago, right? Five years ago. It failed. And then that was this that planted the seeds for this, which is you know much darker and much is it much more, more interesting? interesting? Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, I have this picture of us in costume for this show for NBC. It's hilarious because I think it's it's set in New York. Uh huh. I mean, we are like the network TV. Can you imagine a network the TV network- version of <sighs> Russian Doll? I instead of like got to get up, it'd be like a Maroon Five song. It would <laughs> or, like, be. I mean, you know, like, oh, yeah, and it wouldn't even be me. It'd be like Selena Gomez or someone. <laughs> <laughs> what, what are we ki- kidding ourselves? Fair, fair yeah. point. So it feels like it was like a really lucky, wonderful thing that it happened. Yeah, that it got to, that, that you got failed. this other chance to do it. It's a very Russian doll experience. Yeah. Again, but we're underdogs who are used to failure, so this is very confusing for us to accept that like <laughs> it worked. I guess this is a good time to ask you about your future projects that you are writing. Yeah. Please tell us about okay. it. Tell us everything you can about right. Koreatown. Okay. What can I say about that? I am working on a show with Jason Kim, who is also from Girls. Yeah. Um, and uh, he's also Korean-American. And we first got together to write 
a different TV show. It's something else. And we, yeah, comedy, and I think at one point it was a girl with, you know, special superpowers. Really? Like, like you know. Like, something that you were asked to write, or you guys got, no, together, got together and you were, we were like, like, oh, we just like want to do something different. Something yeah. fun, you know, like, something yeah. for us. Yeah. Yeah. But not Asian specific. No. Yeah. I think in on some level we were trying to avoid that, yeah. right? Um. Because we we get told that a lot. It's like, so when are you going to write, like, you know, you're fresh off the boat or you're, like, um, all-American girl? But... That people, other people put you in a box where they're like, of. oh, you're, you two are both Korean. So, like, when are you going right. to write your Korean show? And exactly. you're like, we don't want to write a Korean show. We just want to write a show. Right. Okay. So we tried not to. And then... How'd that go? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, we spend most of our time just, like, about our families <laughs> And also the trauma of growing up as an immigrant child. Um, and it just became so clear that this was a show that we were writing. Yeah. Um, and, of course, there are other elements that are involved. I mean, we um, it's set in Koreatown, Los Angeles. And we are – what else? I mean, it's so hard. It's like – Can I say the things that I've known so that yes, they're – Yes, At ahead. the very least, they're Great. public? Yes. So it's a family it's, – it's a family sort of like – Drama, comedy, comedy, drama, mm-hmm. dark comedy, mm-hmm. but it's about a crime family, right? Yeah. Which I think is a really interesting sort of destruction of the model minority myth. Yeah, perhaps mm-hmm. I don't know if that's what you meant to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, it's, I mean, I feel like is it going to be an all Asian cast or mostly Asian cast and mostly Korean cast? Maybe it's going to be all Costa Rican, actually. Great! Um, oh, pura vida. Uh, yeah, 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 yes, yes. Uh, <laughs> The family is a Korean family, yes. yes. Uh, and yes, they are embedded in some sort of crime, yes. Mm-hmm. And yes, we, I think, like, we weren't setting out to, like, break down this model minority. It was more, we don't come from perfect families. Right. And I, we don't identify with that. Like, I, so much of my trauma as a child was n- never fitting into this box. And yeah. you know, I was too loud. I wasn't ladylike enough. And I, you know, I was like pretty good at math, but not good enough. Like, yeah. I just never fit in um, to that. And so I think at the end of the day, we're just we're making a show that works. A show that works involves multidimensional characters that are real. That means they're not going to be perfect people. Yeah. Um, and I have to say, what's been interesting almost immediately was. This isn't to say this has been the the uh, primary response, but there have been voices who already were sort of pushing back on this idea. I want to I want to say like a protectiveness of oh, wait okay. a second, how are you going to portray us as a community? Right, like, this is our one shot. Yeah, which I get because yeah. I felt that way in my life. Like, where are we? We're absent. Like, mm-hmm. so if you're going to be portrayed, finally. I guess you want to come across as, like, good? Look, as a Latina who has refused to watch any, like, cartel movies, Mm -hmm. it's, I think it's a, it's a valid question to think about, right? Like, but I do feel like there are fewer, I mean, I, I haven't watched a a ton of, like, K-dramas or whatever, but, like, I've, at least in the United States, HBO, Netflix world, I haven't seen a a K-town yet. Us either. So that's what we're after. Um, we're excited. 
We're writing. And you're in it, Mm -hmm. which is exciting. Mm -hmm. Have you written a role that feels closer to who you actually are or further away from who you are? Uh, Where we've landed is some sort of mix of myself and also people in my life and my family. Um, It's going to be a combination. Like your sister's going to watch it and be like, how dare she? (laughs) She's dragging me secretly. She's taking this tiny bit of me. (laughs) (laughs) She's performing, Uh, I can tell. Surprisingly, my whole family, they're so gay. My mom's like, so am I going to get like a producer credit? Like she's like, she's got, I I have stories. My dad's like, I'm I'm an actor, you know. My dad's a doctor. Like he's not this... Just the way he's coming anywhere near that set. He's it's already, like, dressing kind of differently in front of me. I'm like, Dad, oh. are you auditioning? Are you auditioning for the show right do, now? Do you ever, like, sit in the living room and your dad comes in and he just does starts doing a scene? Like an entrance? He's like, he's yes. like hello. Right. He's like, sorry, I'm going to take that again. Yeah, take <laughs> so two. So great. Um, Greta Lee, thank yeah. you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. That was Greta Lee from the Netflix show Russian Doll. She was talking to our regular guest host, Julia Furlan. I'm Sam Sanders, and you're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. This hour, we shared two conversations with two stars from two shows up for Outstanding Comedy Series at the Primetime Emmy Awards, which take place September 22nd. You can check out our podcast feed for more of everything you heard on today's show, more Greta Lee, and more of my chat with Dan Levy, the star and creator of, and let me spell it first, S-C-H-I-T-T-S, Shit's Creek. We're back next week with our regular wrap on the news and culture and everything else of the week. As always, in that show, we hear from listeners sharing with us the best things that have happened to them all week. If you want to be part of that, just record yourself and email that voice file to me at samsanders at npr.org. samsanders at npr.org. You could be on next week's show or some other show, okay? Till then, thank you for listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. I'm Sam Sanders. Talk soon.